Father God, we thank you that you are a good God. You're a good Father. You're for us. You're not against us. You're on our side. You're here today. You want to work in our lives. You want to take us deeper. You want to take us further. You want us to know all about your goodness and all about your plans for us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. Father, we open up to you today. We open up our minds. We open up our hearts. We open up our lives. And we say, fill us. Fill us afresh, God, with your grace and with your love and with your goodness and with your power. And we receive all that you have for us. And we thank you for it with hearts overflowing with gratitude in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people shouted. Let's give God a praise, church. Go ahead and take a seat. Well, we're going to be looking today at a subject, I've spoken about it a couple of times before, but it was a few years ago, and um, this is a topic that used to be well known in the Christian church in all denominations, and somehow or other in more recent history it got neglected and forgotten, and then to the extent that when when Bible teachers and preachers and theologians and professors talk about it. For a lot of Christians, it's like, wow, this is new. I never knew anything about this. I never knew that the stars and the heavens um, meant anything. I know every day, every, sorry, every year since I was a little kid, I sang Christmas songs about the stars in the bright sky. Look down where he lay, the little Lord Jesus asleep in the hay. And I know the Christmas story is full of all these strange astrologers following stars and coming and finding Jesus, but, but that's about it. I didn't know that any of that really meant anything. So today we're going to be looking, I can't actually remember what I've called it. What have I called this one? Signs in the sky. We're going to be looking at signs in the sky. And I want to just cast your memory back to the very first week that we started this message series, Eyes Wide Open. And, um, and if you weren't here, the, the video is online, in which I talked, it was like the introduction to the whole thing, and I talked about two different things. One was that uh, as a, a Christian, as I was maturing as a Christian, and as I became a pastor, and I was a young pastor, I was troubled by some dysfunctional approaches to the Christian faith. You know, when people become judgmental and angry and legalistic, and, and everything's about what's wrong with you, and about the devil, and about hell, and about all scary things, and people neglect the good news, the gospel, the joyful announcement, the glad tidings, that's what the word gospel means, the great encouraging message that God is a God of love, that He loves the whole world so much that He sent His Son. He is your Savior. You can enter into a relationship with God. The good news seemed to be overshadowed by 
darkness and fear and doubts and, and judgmentalism. And that bothered me. And I knew that that was not the, what Christianity was all about. But then that, the other thing that I mentioned was that I noticed there were things in the Bible to do with the end of an age. And Jesus predicted that an end of an age would come. And the more I looked at that, the more I could see that there were these two ages in the Bible. There was like the old covenant age and the new covenant age. And the old covenant age, with all of its laws and its ten commandments and its hundreds of other rules that went around, all of that passed away, that we're not supposed to be trying to live up to some law code, but we're under a new age where God's Spirit dwells in us, where He cleanses us from our sins. We don't have to work to undo our bad karma. We are forgiven. We are cleansed. He dwells within us by His Spirit. He works in our lives and through our lives. Completely different ages. But then as I read, studied more, I saw that there wasn't just these two ages in the Bible. The Bible talked about former ages, and it talked about ages to come. And as I grew, and as I read, and as I studied, and as I researched, and as I looked at all of the other great Bible teachers and theologians and historians that have written about these things, I, came, I really came to understand that God's plan is so much bigger than most of us think it is. We, we think of Jesus being our personal Savior, and thankfully He is. We also think of him being the head of the church. So God is, leads his church, and that's true as well. But God isn't just the God of you personally. He's not just the God of the Christian church. Don't know, this might come as a shock to you, but Jesus actually wasn't a Christian. Don't know if you've ever thought about that. Jesus wasn't a Christian. That hadn't been invented yet, okay? God is not just the God of the Christian church. He's the God of the whole world. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all that it contains. He's not just the God of the whole world. He's the God of the entire universe. Every star and planet and galaxy has been put there for a purpose and a meaning. Not only does your life have meaning, not only were you put in this world for a purpose, but the Pleiades constellation was put there for a purpose and is spoken about in the Bible. Everything in all the universe. God is the God of the whole universe, and however many other universes He may have created as well. I don't know. God is a much bigger God. Also, we kind of think of like human history as people stumbling about, not knowing who God is, and then Jesus came and says, ta-da, I'm here, everybody. I'm here to tell you about God, and now we've got the message. But actually, as we understand that God has a great plan of the ages throughout, not only throughout the church, not only throughout the world, not only throughout the universe, but throughout the entirety of history, God has been working out a great big plan to bring everything to a marvelous and incredible conclusion, and that's what we're going to look at today. And when I was looking at all of these things about this great plan that God has had, 
one of the things that I noticed, and again, I'm not going to show you them all. We did them the very first week. I gave you a long list of verses in the Bible that mention the constellations in the sky. Things like the Pleiades and Orion and so on, but also the 12 symbols of the zodiac as well. And that, that, was, that really interested me. Why are all of these zodiac? And sometimes I'd be reading the book of Revelation. Behold, I saw a sign in the sky, a woman with a crown of 12 stars around her head. Now, that's the constellation Virgo. In the book of Revelation, behold, I saw a rider on a horse with a bow in his hand. That's Sagittarius. And another dude with a set of scales. Isn't that Libra? And then as I would read the book of Ezekiel and see the symbolic visions there, and he sees these living creatures with four faces, and I realized those four faces are the four cardinal points of the zodiac. The face of a man is Aquarius, the face of a lion is Leo, the face of a bull is Taurus, and the face of an eagle, believe it or not, is Scorpio, because in the constellation Scorpio, which symbolizes the enemy, there's an eagle just about to destroy the enemy. I'm thinking, there's something to this. So I began to read and study old books. And one of the other things that interested me was how when you read old books from the early Christian church or even from ancient Jewish rabbis, you would find out that they would tie the 12 disciples of Jesus or the 12 tribes of Israel to the 12 constellations of the zodiac. I think I've got an image. Put up the first image. There is the 12, the symbols of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this comes from the book of Genesis, from a prophecy where Jacob, before he dies, prophesies over his 12 sons, who are the forefathers of the 12 tribes of Israel, and gives each one of them a prophecy, which if you read carefully, corresponds to one of the zodiac signs. Also, I knew, especially coming from Europe, where there are ancient Christian cathedrals all over the place, next image please, next one, that so many of the cathedrals have in their stained glass windows and in their carvings the symbols of the zodiac. And I used to think to myself, but like, I thought Christians were not supposed to believe in all this stuff because all we're, whatever, to, oh, horoscopes, be careful of horoscopes. And the Bible does say, do not follow horoscopes. But it doesn't say, and the symbol of Pisces, bad. Do not look, it's bad. It doesn't say that. They're all over cathedrals. Not only cathedrals, but next image. Archaeologists have discovered them in ancient synagogues from the time of Jesus and the early church. The whole calendar of the ages and the 12 symbols of the zodiac. And so I want us to just look at a few verses, and then I'm going to show you two things relating how the Bible relates to the 12 symbols of the zodiac in two different ways. Okay, first thing, put up the next my next one. Okay, right. The stars contain a message. This is what the Bible tells us. The stars contain a message. It says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. What is the glory of God? You know that the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ himself is the glory of God and the radiant representation of the Father. 
Jesus is the glory of God. The heavens declare the story and message of Jesus. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make Him known. Now, how do they speak? Let's read on. They speak without a sound or word. They don't speak in audible words. They speak in the language of symbols. A picture speaks a thousand words. Um, their voice is never heard, yet their message, do you see that? The stars in the sky have a message. Their message has gone throughout the earth, no matter where you are on the planet, you see the same constellations and you get the same message, and their words to all the world. Do you know that no matter where you go on planet earth, no matter what period of history or what religion they followed or what culture they had, every culture on earth have the same 48 constellations. The 12 major constellations of the zodiac, and each one has three minor constellations attached to it as well. They have the same ones all over the world, and the same story displayed. Now, what is this message that they're telling us? What is it they are continuing to speak to the whole world? The Apostle Paul quotes this verse in the New Testament, and he tells us that the message that is being proclaimed is the message of the gospel. Let's look at the next verse. This is from Romans 10. So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the gospel of Christ. But I ask, have people um, actually heard the message? Yes, they have. How does he know they have? Then he quotes that psalm, which is speaking about the message of the stars. And he says, their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to the end of the world. By quoting that psalm about the message of the stars, Paul says it's the message of the gospel of Christ. And away back at the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God already gives us this key. Let's look at the next verse. Their message also marks time periods. Look what God said. And God said, Genesis 1.14, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs and to mark the seasons and days and years. The stars and the sun and the moon, they have two purposes. One purpose is as signs, signs, star signs, constellations, signs that tell a message, a message that declares the glory of God all over the world, a message which Paul says is the gospel of Christ, and their second purpose is as a calendar to mark periods of time. So that is what they're all about. We're going to come back to the periods of time 
in a moment, and I want to deal first of all with their message. So let's go on. Let's continue to look on, and let's look at the message of the signs. The constellation as signs. We call them signs, don't we? You know, were you ever uh, in a bar and somebody next to you said, what sign are you? (laughs) Or did that only happen in the 70s or something? We call them signs. And they're annual signs. The reason that there are 12 months in the year is because there are 12 signs in the zodiac. I'm aware some, some Christians don't like the word zodiac. If you really want to be all Hebrew and biblical, you can use the Hebrew word mazaroth if you want. But it's even a weirder word to say than zodiac. But whatever, the zodiac or the mazaroth, which is the Hebrew and biblical name for the 12 constellations of the zodiac, there are 12 of those. And that's why there's 12 months in the year. Because in ancient, now our calendar is had days added and had it jumbled about, and and it's moved off sync a little bit. But in ancient calendars, each month was one zodiac constellation, including the Hebrew calendar in the Old Testament. And so, let's go through them. Now, now before we go through them, let me say this. I am not going to do this subject justice today, and I'm going to tell you why. There's 12 symbols in the zodiac. Each symbol has a name. Each name has a meaning that tells a story, and its name is also linked to passages in the Bible. That's all I'm going to have time to tell you today, but, but you can go further and deeper. Like, the rabbit hole goes way deeper than that. For instance, in each constellation, every star in that constellation also has an ancient name. And each of those ancient names of the stars also have a meaning which contributes to the story of the overall symbol. And each star's name also has a whole list of Bible verses associated with it. And that's just the 12 symbols of the zodiac. Each symbol of the zodiac has three minor constellations called decans associated with it too. And each decan has a name, and each of its names have a meaning that relate to the story, and each of their names also have a number of biblical passages attached to them. And then in the decans, every star in the decan has, and you get the idea, okay? So it's a really deep subject, and there are lots of great books about it from every stream of the Christian church, Calvinist, Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Charismatic. You'll find good Bible teachers from every part of the Christian church that have written books about this. So I'm just touching the tip of the iceberg, and we're going through it fast. Let's start with Virgo. Let's go to the constellation Virgo. How do we know that we start with Virgo? Because the zodiac is a circle. So where do you start and where do you stop? The oldest zodiac ever found is a carving in Dendera in Egypt, and it has the circle of the zodiac, and it breaks, it it, it breaks between Virgo and Leo, as if you start at Virgo and finish at Leo. And in the break, they have the Sphinx with a female's head towards Virgo and a lion's body towards Leo, showing you where you start and where you finish. Do you remember that the Bible says Moses was trained 
in all of the wisdom of Egypt? He would have known all these things. So here we go, the constellation Virgo. That constellation means this, a virgin. Actually, the ancient word for Virgo actually means more than virgin. It literally means virgin birth. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That's from Isaiah 7.14. Do you notice that Virgo is carrying a branch in her hand? That comes from one of the, the, actually the brightest star in Virgo, which means the branch. Here's a prophecy from Zechariah and Isaiah about the coming Messiah. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from his place and build the temple of God. We are the temple of God. Or this, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. The virgin holding a branch is symbolizing the day that a virgin will give birth to someone who will be the Messiah, who will be the Savior of the world. And that is the basic. We could, we could speak about every star and the name of every star, and we could put up lots of Bible verses, and we could speak of the decans and do the same. But you get the idea. Virgo is a prophecy in the sky, a prophecy in the sky. Can you imagine living back in the ancient times before there was Netflix or the internet? And you're sitting on your porch and your kids are saying, Daddy, what does that, what do these stars mean? And you would tell your children the story that your father told you, and you would tell them that that is Virgo. There's coming a day when something amazing is going to happen, and a virgin shall give birth to a son, and he will be our Savior. And what about that one, Daddy? Well, let's go on and look. The next one. Let's put the next one up. Libra, the scales. The scales. We use this symbol today as a symbol for justice. The Savior will pay for our day of sin and will once again balance the scales of justice. Because you see, our sin had weighed us down, and there's no way we could have repaid it. But the Messiah who was born of the virgin came to repay our debt of sin and to balance the scales of justice. Daniel 5, 27, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Revelation 6, 5, then I looked and saw a black horse and his, right, uh, his rider held a pair of scales in his hand. You know, very often, especially if you've kind of messed up in life, in the past, you kind of feel like, oh, I'll never get to be like as spiritual and as holy as other Christians because they started at a better place than me, you know? They were homeschooled, and I, they, they've got homeschool privilege. I was, I, I started later on, it's not fair. You know, there's nothing you need to do to balance out your life you just need to bring your life into alignment with God, and He will bring balance and harmony into your life. He will lift your burden of sin and bring you back to a place of equilibrium in life once again. Let's look at the third, the third chapter of the annual story. Every, and 
I'm saying it's once every month because each month a different constellation arises on the horizon and comes up. And every month, God writes a different chapter of His story in the sky, 12 chapters in all. Scorpio the scorpion, the scor Scorpio the scorpion, evil will sting the Savior, but will itself be crushed by him. In some ancient zodiacs, it's a scorpion, and in some ancient zodiacs, it's a dragon, and in some ancient zodiacs, it's a serpent. Isn't it interesting that in the Bible, scorpions and serpents and dragons all symbolize the same thing? They all symbolize evil. They all symbolize the devil. There's all these things about a serpent will bite the Savior's heel, but he will crush it. There's all these things about crushing scorpions and serpents. Look, I will put enmity between you and the woman, this is God speaking to the serpent, to the devil, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. A prophecy that the Messiah would come and the devil striking his heel, the serpent biting his heel, Scorpio stinging him, is the Messiah being killed. But then the Messiah rises from the dead, crushing all evil under its feet, his feet, and then says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Completely defeated. Look what Jesus said in Luke 10 to us. I have given you authority to trample on scorpions and serpents and over all the power of the evil one, and nothing will by any means harm you. Isn't that a good message? And that's, that's just chapter 3. You know, some, some preachers, I've actually heard this, some preachers say, before we tell people the good news that they can be forgiven, we need to tell them the bad news first of all, that they're sinful, hell-bound, depraved people. The gospel in the sky doesn't start off with the bad news. I think most of us know we're pretty screwed up and we need a savior, honestly. The gospel starts with the good news. A virgin's gonna have a, a, a son and he will be the savior. He will lift your burden of sin. He will defeat your enemy and give you the power to trample him under your feet. It starts with good news. Number chapter four. I'm never gonna get through this. Chapter four. Sagittarius the archer. Now the archer, you know how the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? See that word sinned, it's actually an archery term. It means to have fired an arrow but missed the mark. All of us miss the mark. And where we have missed the mark and fallen short, the Savior will come down to earth and point us to the heavens. And in the zodiac, the arrow of Sagittarius is about to go straight through Scorpio, the enemy, and render him powerless. I looked, and behold, a white horse, Revelation 6-2, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned, missed the mark, and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Chapter 5, put up chapter 5, next one. Chapter 5, Capricorn, the fish goat. It's it has two different natures. It's half a fish and half a goat. It's the goat part symbolizes the scapegoat. The fish part symbolizes humanity. 
I will make you fishers of men. The scapegoat, remember in the Old Testament, they sacrificed a goat or they sent a goat out as a scapegoat that took their sins away. The scapegoat who takes our sins away is somebody who has come down and become one of us. The scapegoat of atonement is slain for the redeemed. By the way, there are two stars in the head of Capricorn, Deneb Al-Gedi. Deneb and Al-Gedi, the sacrifice comes, and the second word, Dabi, the sacrifice slain. The, cap, the sign of Capricorn is saying, a sacrifice shall come and be slain and will be the scapegoat that will take away our sins, but he will actually become one of us. And there's all that stuff about the Old Testament times. Okay, let's go on. Next, chapter 6. Aquarius, the water bearer. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all people. The living waters of the Spirit being poured out. By the way, I know we've not got to to Pisces yet, but Pisces is the fish. Remember Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. In the zodiac... There's a fish right here, and Aquarius is pouring the water into the fish's mouth. Jesus said, everyone who drinks the living waters that I give them will never thirst again, but that water will become a well of eternal life springing up within them. Next chapter, chapter 7. Pisces the fish, that's the next one. Here we are now. The multitudes who follow the Savior, who is the great fisher of men. Do you know that the early Christians used the symbol of the fish as the symbol of Christianity? Just draw on it like that. Because one of the Greek words for fish was the word ichthus. And the letters of ichthus could mean Jesus, Christos, Theos, Duos, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And do you know that Christians in the early church, we have writings that we've discovered, Christians referred to other Christians as little fish. They referred to each other as Ichthus and Pisces. I don't know if you've ever seen in a cathedral, in cathedral windows, there's a thing called the Vesica Pisces, which is the symbol of the fish, but turned up the way, pointing to heaven, and it always has Jesus in the middle, as if he's ascending to heaven. Do you know that when the Romans were persecuting the early Christians and throwing them to the lions, and the Christians had to hide in the catacombs of Rome, they painted Christian graffiti down there. And do you know that one of them is a painting of Jesus, and it says, Jesus Christ, the great fisherman of the age of Pisces. I'll explain that in a little bit. So there we go. Do you know that you see that there's two fish? There's two fish bound together because the Savior comes to break our bonds and to bind us together in new bonds and the bonds of love. And um, also the reason there's two fish is because Jesus' ministry began with a miraculous catch of fish and it ended after his resurrection with another miraculous catch of fish. Symbolic that the age of Pisces, which I've not told you about yet, will start with a great gathering of souls and so will it end. Chapter 8. Chapter 8. Aries the ram. Sometimes he's a lamb. 
He is wounded, the wounded and slain sacrifice who takes away our sin. In, in the symbol, the, la, the ram's head is down as if it has been slain. This is a symbol of the sacrificial system which began when the Lord himself provided Abraham with a ram as a sacrificial offering. And it continued through the Old Testament till Jesus came. Number nine, sign nine, Taurus the bull. And bulls were regarded as, as, uh, as agricultural animals that could push other animals out the way, that could plow fields. The coming one will push forth like a bull or an ox and plow the field of the world, bringing a great harvest. Uh, within, the, within the constellation Taurus is a group of stars called the Pleiades. And look what God says to Job in the book of Job 38. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations? The Hebrew word is Mazaroth, the zodiac, in their seasons? Still haven't even mentioned what the seasons are. Chapter 10. Next chapter. Gemini the twins. The one with twin natures, fully God but fully man, will come as the repairer of the first couple's transgressions. Sometimes Gemini is a man and a woman joined together, and sometimes it's two twins joined together because the first man and woman sinned, but, Gem, but the Savior came as a, with a twin nature, fully God and fully man, to repair what the first couple did. The Bible starts with a couple, Adam and Eve, in the book of Genesis, and it ends with a couple, Jesus and his bride, the church, at the end of the book of Revelation. In, in Coptic, Gemini is called Pima, which means the united and in the two heads, there are two stars called Castor and Pollux, which are actually mentioned in Acts 28. It said, Luke writes, after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship, that's from Egypt, with the figurehead of the twins, Castor and Pollux. Chapter 11 of the story, Cancer the Crab. Now, it's funny because to us it's a crab, and the word cancer is a bad word to us. It's like, oh, that's not a good thing. But originally that word didn't mean anything bad. It didn't mean a disease. And the crab symbolized two things. It symbolized being underwater, but it also symbolized a creature that could encircle. In some of the ancient zodiacs, it's not a crab. It's actually a sheepfold encircling a flock of sheep. But it's the same symbol. The multitude of the redeemed will be gathered together in God's sheepfold, depicted as a crab born of water. The word means to hold or encircle. I've told you that. Revelation 7, 9. Look at the multitude. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe. You know, sometimes people say, are only a few, you know, because of that verse for Remember when Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the road that leads to life. Well, there's only a few people going to get saved. Well, the book of Revelation tells us a great multitude that no one was able to count 
from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and the Lamb. Number 12, Leo the Lion, the Messiah, will return at the end of all the ages as the Lion of Judah. Leo is depicted as jumping on Hydra. Hydra is like the, a, 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 what do you call it, like a dragon or a serpent. This constellation shows the final battle and is the last celestial sign. Revelation describes Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. First he came as a lion, his second coming will be as a lamb. Revelation 5 and 1 Corinthians 15, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed and the last enemy to be destroyed will be the enemy of death. There are the 12 signs of the zodiac as signs. God said, let there be lights in the sky and let them serve two purposes. First of all, as signs that give a message, a message of the glory of God. Paul said it was the gospel of Christ. And before the Bible was ever written, before hieroglyphics were painted on walls, God painted his wonderful message in the night sky. And not only do they tell a story every month and every year, but they mark periods as well. And let me just very briefly show you that. Put up the next slide, please. The next one. Oh, forget the decal. Well, put that up quick. Put it up quick. I don't have time. Put, the next, put it up, the next one. So there are, there are, these are the Dakins. Draco is one. And we looked at that last week. Next one. You need to go fast. Hercule, Herc, I like Hercules. Hercules is beating up a serpent that's in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Get out of there, devil. Next one. Boutes is in the book of Revelation, the harvester. And what, I think I've got one more there. Orion, the coming one. Orion is the messianic one. Right, next, next. The constellation as seasons. We're not going to go through all 12. I don't know how long the planet has been here. I don't know how long it's going to be here. I don't know how many times the great circle of the ages has happened. But there's a few that just correspond to the Bible. So let's look at them now. Let's put them up. Here are some ages in the Bible. Let's go back to the age of Gemini. You know how I said every month a constellation comes up and is prominent? Not only do constellations mark a month, but they also mark in the ancient calendar something called an age. As well as a, we've got a year. We know what a year is. A year is 12 months. But in the ancient world, all over the world, they had something in their calendar called ages. They didn't just have the year of 12 months. They had something called the great year, which is almost 26,000 years long. And the great year has 12, not 12 months, but 12 ages in it. Do you remember in 2012, there was all this palaver about the Mayan calendar predicted the end of the world? And do you remember the, and do you remember the end of the world in December 2012? Did, did you miss that one? So, <clears throat> oh, the world, they even made movies about it. I'm sure there was a Nicolas Cage movie about it as well. I'm absolutely positive. <laughs> 
And no matter how many times experts came on the TV and said, it's not the end of the world, it's the end of an age, the calendar just clicks right on again. Nobody listened. End of the world. No, it was the end of an age. All the ancients had this great year with 12 ages in it. If you go back to the age of Gemini, that happens biblically at the time of the story of Adam and Eve together in the garden, Gemini. And this is the age of duality because when they sinned, all of a sudden, before that, man and woman were in harmony with one another. Humanity and creation were in harmony with one another. The earth and the creator were in harmony with one another. All of a sudden, they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong, dark and light, all of these kinds of dualities. And before you know it, man and God are against one another. Man and creation are against one another. Man and woman are against one another. Cain and Abel, brother killing brother. Dualism enters in in that age. The age of Taurus the bull. This was the age of agriculture, when all over the world agriculture and the plowing of fields started, and all over the world religions began to incorporate this symbol of the bull, and holy cows began to appear, and all of that kind of stuff. After that came the age of Aries the ram. This is where it gets interesting for us. Do you know when the age of Aries the ram started? Do you remember that story in the book of Genesis where God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, up the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice to me? And we read it and we're like horrified. I mean, I'm a pastor. If a church member came up to me one day and said, God told me I have to sacrifice my son, I would say, that was not God that spoke to you. In fact, lock the doors and don't let them out until we <laughs> deal with whatever weird stuff's going on here. Abraham doesn't bat an eye because he lived in a pagan culture. God didn't want him to kill his son. God was about to re-educate him. That I'm against all that horrific pagan stuff. But Abraham takes his son up and his son says, Father, where is the ram? And he says, the Lord himself will provide a ram. And when they get up there, there's a ram caught, and Abraham offers the ram as a scapegoat, as a sacrifice for, her sin, for his sins. And for the next 2,000 years, this sacrificial system is in place. The age of Aries started when Abraham offered the ram, and the age of Aries ended in AD 70 when the Romans destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and there were no more sacrifices ever again because Jesus Christ himself was the full and final sacrifice for our sins. The age of Pisces, the fish. Now, it actually, you're saying, how could it begin in 6 BC and the one before it didn't end till 70? You know how you can go out in the morning and the sun is already rising, but the moon hasn't fully set yet? Is it daytime yet, or is it nighttime? It's the same with the constellations. There's a big period of time, decades, where one is beginning to fall and the other is beginning to rise, and there's a, a bit in the middle called a transition or a cusp, the cusp of the ages. 
Do you know this was when Jesus was conceived? Do you know that's when the age of Pisces started? And it is the current age, but it is beginning to descend. The coming age is the age of Aquarius. Aquarius is the outpouring of the Spirit globally throughout the entire world. The earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is a great age. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, these people were in the age of Pisces, the early Christians, and in the book of Hebrews, he says, you Christians, you've experienced the Holy Spirit. You've received God's Spirit, and you've used spiritual gifts. Then he says this, you have already tasted the powers of the age to come. Let me tell you something about the age of Aquarius. The age of Aquarius has already begun to ascend, but it also had these decans, these smaller constellations. Do you know at the beginning of the 20th century, the first decans of Aquarius, the first heralds of Aquarius began to ascend? And at the same time on earth, the Christian church was becoming hungry for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the Pentecostal movement started. In the 1940s, the next decan of Aquarius began to ascend. And in the Christian church, a great move of healing began to take place as the gifts of the Spirit began. And then in the 1960s, when people wrote songs like, this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius, Aquarius itself began to appear and poke its little head over the horizon and say, I'm on my way. And during that time, there was this hippie movement all over the Western world, and all of them were aware that there was some kind of new age coming, some Aquarian age. Some of them got into the new age movement and talked about the new age that way, but God's Spirit continued to be poured out in a mighty way, and hundreds of thousands of hippies found Jesus Christ as their Savior and received the baptism in the Holy Spirit in what was called the Jesus People Movement as Aquarius began to ascend. And as Aquarius has continued to ascend, there was then the charismatic renewal throughout the Christian church, and then prophetic movements, and more and more, every year it seems that the Christian church is saying, more Lord, we want to open up more and more to your Holy Spirit. Put up my next image, please. Oh, I need to bring this to a close. Here is the way they work. Look, here's just three of them. Here's the age of Aries. That was the old covenant. The feast of Passover speaks about that. Then there was the age of Pisces, when, when the Christian church began, the new covenant began, and that began on the Feast of Pentecost. Then there's Aquarius, the age to come, and that is tabernacles where the dwelling of God. God isn't just visiting His church in revival. He's dwelling. By the way, that little T means a transition period. That's when Jesus was born. That's when Jesus lived, died, rose again from the dead, and poured out His Holy Spirit. And we also today are living in a transition period when one age is coming to an end and another one is coming to birth. So well, what will happen? What will, what will all happen? 
Let me show you a passage. Quickly, people. Quickly up there, media people, because I'm going to go over my time. Here's Jeremiah, Micah, Isaiah. They all prophesy as the ages continue to, to turn, as God's kingdom continues to advance. What will the world be like as more and more and more people open up their lives to God? But as the kingdom of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. What will it be like? Well, you won't need to worry about personal evangelism so much because look, where no one will say to his neighbor, know the Lord, for they shall all know the Lord from the least to the greatest. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of God. They will all know the Lord from the least to the greatest, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And what will happen to people and to nations as they get changed? They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And what about safety and private property and financial provision? Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. The new Jerusalem I make will be full of joy, and her people will be happy. Next verse. I myself will be filled with joy because of Jerusalem and her people. There will be no weeping, no calling for help. Babies will no longer die in infancy, and that stupid evil law that New York have just passed will be struck down in the name of Jesus Christ. That is nothing but child sacrifice. Killing a baby after it's come out of the womb? Dear Lord in heaven, that day's coming to an end, folks. Babies will be allowed to live out their full lifespan. And, and those who live to be a hundred will be considered young. To die before that, people would think of it as a sign of punishment. People will build houses and get to live in them. They will not be used by someone else. Next, next slide. They will plant vineyards and enjoy the wine. It will not be drunk by others. Like trees, my people will live long lives. They will, f this isn't in heaven when you die. There's babies being born and people living to hundreds, okay? Their, the work they do will be successful, and their children will not meet with disaster. I will bless them and their descendants for all time to come. Even before they finish praying to me, I will answer their prayers. And look at the whole ecology. Wolves and lambs. Well, I love those videos that you get on Facebook where it shows you, you know, like a, 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 a tiger, and there's a baby baboon. And you think the tiger's going to kill the baby baboon, and instead she adopts the baby baboon and carries it about. And, and then I think of these verses. Wolves and lambs will eat together. Lions will eat straw as cattles do, and snakes will no longer be dangerous. And there will be nothing harmful or evil. Good days are ahead, church. God is in charge. His kingdom is coming. His will is being done. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea, let's stand together. We're going to pray. Come on. Let's get this prayer up. And I'm hoping that every week as we pray this prayer, its meaning is becoming more and more rich for you. Let's lift up our hands high to heaven. Do you know that that's why people lift their hands up? 
You know, God isn't up there. God's everywhere. But as they looked up at night, they read the message of God, the creator in the night sky, and raised their hands to heaven to give him praise. Okay, are we ready? Are we ready? Let's go. Let's go. Beloved Father, who fills all realms, may you be honored in me. Let your divine rule come now. Let your will come true in all the universe, in the heavens and on earth. Give us all that we need for each day and untangle the knots of unforgiveness that bind us within as we also let go of the guilt of others. Let us not be lost in superficial things, but let us be free from that which keeps us from our true purpose. From you comes all rule, the strength to act, and the song that beautifies all from age to age. Amen. Let's give him a praise, church. Come on. Now I can see clearly. My God, you were for me. And you won't let go. Now I can see clearly. My God, you were for me. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next Sunday.